I'll start at verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. Everyone say sure. Steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Jesus is our sure and certain anchor, amen. He's already gone before us. He's a forerunner and he's already there. And if you read Ephesians, it tells us that we're there with him. And uh, not only do we have a sure and certain hope, but we have a promise that we are seated in heavenly places even now with the Lord. And uh, I think people are trying to find refuge in this season and, and all sorts of stuff. And, and, uh, but, but for us as the church, we have to remain bold in the proclamations that we are, that Jesus is the only hope for this world. Amen? Amen. Maybe we'll pray and we'll get into the word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our sure and certain hope. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who cannot lie and that behind that veil, the anchor is set and it has us. And Lord, you have us in your hand and you will never let us go. What a sure hope that is for us today. We thank you that we can be here in your presence together. And Lord, this morning we pray that your word will speak to our hearts and be an encouragement. Lord, that you would challenge us to rise up and to seek you first among all things, in particular in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're getting back to um, the program that we've been running while we've been doing church from home. And uh, we've got a few weeks to go. We've been looking at church, church transformation and in particular... Uh, we've been looking at seven particular shifts that the church has needed to do and uh, has been working on for a number of years now. And uh, we, I just felt that in this time it would be good to help keep us focused on the purpose of church and what we're called to do. And, and ultimately it's about the expansion of the kingdom of God. Amen? No? No amens there? <laughs> it's ultimately about the, the expansion of the kingdom of God. I mean, that's where you're supposed to get inspired. The Bible tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, right? If we seek first the kingdom of God and all of this is added unto us, when we, when we hear those words that it's all about the expansion of the kingdom, that's supposed to bring joy to our hearts. And, uh, and, and that's one of the reasons we, we're working in this fast and prayer time at the moment, is, is that there's that real challenge at the moment of the loss of joy, isn't there? There's so many things bombarding us around all the places and, and it's keeping our focus off those things which are important, which really is the kingdom of God. And that's where the sure and certain hope comes from. If my focus is on the kingdom of God, then I'm steadfast and my face is set before him. I, I opened my Bible app this morning just when I woke up because I wanted to just reflect on a little passage of scripture and, and there was something in there about... Uh, just a little note around passion. And, and it said something along the lines of, people will know your passion because not only are you willing to die for it, but you're willing to run and continue to run. And you find that sense of, I'm awesomely empowered with the joy that comes from pursuing my passion. Amen? So the kingdom of God should become our passion. And as if the kingdom of God is our passion, 
then, then all of the other things around us are secondary. And I can cope with the secondary when my focus is on the passion. But when I'm, when I'm torn from what is my passion and I begin to look at the secondary, all of a sudden I'm running in my own strength. Is that right? Is that true? Is that what it feels like at times when, when you, you're bombarded by all the different things in the world? And I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of the fact that we've all got jobs and we've all got families and we've all got responsibilities. I'm not talking about that. But, but when you put it all in line with God and the kingdom, and God says all of these things will be added unto you, well, that tells me that there's a grace there for my family and there's a grace there for my work and there's a grace there for for my connections. There's a grace there for the things that are passionate for me. Amen? Because I'm positioned right. I don't know where that came from, but anyway, we'll go, go into this. So we're running this series, and with a real quick recap for us. Um, that's not going to work. Is there a screen up? Anyway, you flick on it to the next one. Just a real quick recap for us. It's frozen. There we go. Amazing. Thanks, Aaron. Um, we, we looked at shift number one, a power shift, and, and the whole sense of becoming a praying community. Amen? And, and, and last week, we, we actioned that, and we said, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put wheels in motion. We're going to give us something to do in the season that we're in. So prayer is an important... And, and the question is, are we praying? Are we joining in? And you can join us tonight at 6 p.m., and I would encourage everyone to be here because praying in small groups last week was amazing it really was shift number two was uh, becoming an evangelistic community putting the first things first prayer and relationship with god and then taking what the lord gives us to become the the hope sharing community that we're supposed to be so prayer and evangelism are two very distinct things that we can do to see faith hope and love arise in griffith and our community amen we must prioritize becoming a soul winning community I don't think there's been a, a, a time of, of my understanding in, in my own life, my own 42 years, where I've sensed it as prevalent as it is now. Shift three, we worked over two weeks, and it was really becoming a caring community. And uh, the focus on becoming the caring community that Jesus saw his church becoming. United, founded on grace and truth, seeing the outworking of faith, hope, and love. That's who we are as a church, amen? So if you've been here for a while, you would understand that they're the things that, that we're striving for. They're, they're the things that I believe, and I believe our leadership believe, that, are, that reveal that the kingdom of God is at, at hand. The kingdom of God is amongst us. When we're at unity, when we're, we're outworking faith, hope, and love, when we're standing on the word, we're spending time in prayer, and we're reaching to those who are lost. Amen? So I think we've been navigating this shift and these changes probably for around about 15 years. And that seems like a really long time, doesn't it? Um, but I would say that's about, about right for us as a church. We've been working through these things. I can honestly say that we're now seeing some inroads, a bit more now than, than uh, probably where we were 10, 15 years ago. As we're working out some of this stuff here as a church... We have to acknowledge that there was a couple of big things that came against us in 2018 which kind of derailed some of the momentum that was happening. Do you remember? 2018, uh, our beloved brother, uh, one of our pastors, Pastor Rodney, 
uh, he led us very well up until, um, well, he continues to lead us very well, I won't say that, but he led us very well as senior leader up, up until 2015, 2016 it was. And, uh, but in 2018, we're just starting to make some inroads. We'd, we'd put Pastor Jamie on and we're starting to get some things happening as far as multiplication and development of leaders and, and, and all that sort of thing. And, uh, and bang, Rodney remembers it well. We're only talking about it during the week. Sickness struck, amen? And that sickness hit him. And uh, at the time, the church wasn't at a point where we, we're blessed now with so many different people in different roles. But at the time, uh, what happened was it was everything seemed to compound. And I, I kind of was just feeling like the pressure. Do you remember? Running, 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 making sure that we weren't going backwards. And I stood here in front of the church and I said, no matter what it's going to cost us, we're not going to go backwards. And uh, we, we worked very hard under the grace of God to be able to do that. While we, we also were navigating the first year of the school and some pretty significant things that were going on with Barnabas and pretty cool things that were going on around there. But at the time, the church took a hit. Um, it, it, it was a time where, in a sense, it felt like we had to batten down and, and, and just get the things done. But the hit that we took was the, the continual development of raising up leaders and in inspiring people to, to give their life and commitment to the Lord. That sense of what is their passion, seeing that developed, identified and developed and brought through. And, and we're looking today at this fourth shift, which is really the development of leadership or the leadership shift. And I, I feel that it's very prevalent now that it's time to start talking about this again. You've heard us say, for a long time, that we're all leaders. We're all called to lead someone and something. It begins with leading yourself and then calling to lead another. And then it's called about what the Lord's put on your heart to lead from a ministry. You've all heard it from that perspective many, many times. And we've all heard that God's given us unique and individual gifts and talents that are to be used for the expansion of the kingdom of God and for the, uh, the collective good of his church. Amen? So what this is all about is helping us refocus on the things that are really important to seeing the church fulfill her ministry, which is about expansion of the kingdom. The things we need to focus back on her. You know, we've had those first three weeks where we've looked at the shifts now when we look at leadership, there's this strength around development of discipleship, training and releasing, because it's in those things that you will see new dreams arise. Not dreams from a church perspective, but new dreams that keep us running in the passions of God in ourselves. And for this to happen, what we need is a leadership shift in our own mindsets. Amen? It was great being able, this is some celebrations, you know, to put Pastor Jamie on staff way back then. And then last year, we made the move to put Pastor Micah on. At the start of this year, um, we were able to put um, Amy on into an administration role. And uh, they were wonderful things. And I believe that we're now in a place from a resource, a personal resource point of view, to not only challenge the staff, but to help them unpack and help the church grow up in this leadership change and shift in their own mentality. Amen? So, so what does this look like in a practical way? 
Well, leadership, the leadership shift can really be summed up in saying that leaders need to move from doing ministry to equipping others for the work of ministry. You've heard me say that before. You've heard me put that in messages before. And you can find that um, our basis for that is Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And I really believe that that was Pastor Rodney putting that into me as he was developing me in, my, in the ministry that I was called to in the church. That this comes as a DNA of who we are as a church. It's come from, I believe it's even come back from our previous pastor before Pastor Rodney. We had Pastor David who instilled that into him for the 14 years prior He's putting that into place and he's building a team. And, and then Pastor Rodney picks that up and runs with it. And now he's passed on the baton and we're running with the exact same thing. But that's got to shift to a greater level. Amen? Because it's not just about a team anymore. It's about the team, the entire church. And, and we're leading to that point um, for those new visions to rise. And uh, the new... Um, I suppose you can say even a new beginnings for the church again as we get back on track. Where do we, where do we turn to? Well, I feel looking at this passage, Matthew 9, 35 to 38, this is Jesus talking and he says, he's talking and he says, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. The result of Jesus' teaching as he goes about and teaches in the synagogues and proclaiming what? The gospel of the kingdom. It needs to be the focus is the gospel of the kingdom like we began. And healing every disease. When we're preaching the kingdom of God, the result is signs and wonders. Okay, The result is that we see a healthy church and we see healthy communities. All right? Verse 36, then Jesus, when he saw the crowds, what did he have? What did he, have? he had contempt on them. No, he had compassion for them, right? Jesus had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Who were they harassed by? Anyone ever asked that question? Who were they harassed by? Well, they could have been harassed by the religious leaders of the day because they might not have been living according to the law. Or they could have even been harassed by the Roman centurions, the soldiers that were around the, law, the government that was over, overseeing them. So that he saw that they were harassed and helpless. They were probably in a poverty state in some senses because they would have been overtaxed to the max, all that sort of stuff. And he says, like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to these disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. That was one of our prayer points this week, wasn't it? Yeah? And remember when I was sitting down writing this, it was that night that the prayer point came out. And I was like, this is really cool that this would happen. And here we are praying earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. But as I was writing and reading this during the day, I believe that Jesus set out to raise up people as the answer for this prayer. The reason is because Jesus then went on to develop the 12. He then went on to um, not only disciple them and teach them and train them and release them, he developed them to a point that the things that he had on the inside, he trusted to trusted men. 
And as he trusted them, they went, wow, this is so important. We're going to devote our lives to it. They, they cha- what they did was they changed from, become, from just being followers, walking away from their fishing nets, to the point where they're going to completely devote their lives to it, even unto death, which we know happened when you read the book of Acts and you read the history of our disciples, the apostles. So how can we send laborers when we haven't instructed them? It's a big question and it's one that we've got to answer. We can pray believing that God will do this. And for sure, God definitely does this. But ultimately, God does this through his church. He does it through people like you and I. As followers of Jesus, we have the responsibility in this. The harvest is plentiful, should inspire us, yet we get nervous around the thought. What if I stuff up? Is that right? What if I make a mistake? How can I be a harvester if, if I take the straw and I leave the grain in the field? I kind of feel that we've had the wrong focus in this passage. Because what we focus on is when he saw the crowd, that he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. And we go, well, Jesus is the good shepherd, right? Is that right? And we should be, as leaders in the church, if we're leaders in the church, we should be good under-shepherds to Jesus. But I want to take that a different way. I want to say all of us should be good under-shepherds. We're all called to be like Jesus. If Jesus is to be, is Jesus is the good shepherd, then by the Holy Spirit, he graces us to be good shepherds ourselves. But the question isn't, is there enough shepherds? Because Jesus isn't talking about shepherds. He's talking about harvesters. He's talking about laborers. Is that right? So the fact of the matter is, he, he moves from shepherding to a very different form of farming. He moves from Livestock to harvest. Right? So, so the, the focus isn't shepherding here. The focus is honestly about multiplication. The focus is about reaping that which the Lord has been faithful in. The harvest is plentiful. It's white for harvest. It's ready to go. But the shepherd boys didn't harvest. People did. True or false? Do you think David, as the youngest son, as he was tending the sheep, was called to go and pick up the the knives and go and harvest the crops? No, his calling was was to shepherd the flock. True? So who is the laborers in this picture? Amen? Who is the laborers? Right. So if you're the laborers, you are a self-fulfilling prayer. Father, send out laborers into the harvest field. Here I am, Lord, send me. Should be my prayer, right? So the question should come then, if we're looking at an Israelite, the Hebrew family unit, if David was the example, right? If David was the shepherd boy. Now, David's father would have been a very wealthy man. I think he would have had more than one flock of sheep. If you say that, say for example, David was looking after 100 sheep, 
Go back and look at some of the numbers in the Old Testament of how many sheep and herds some of these wealthy, like look at Abraham, how many flocks he had. So David would have been one of a number of shepherds. True? Starting to get the concept? David's father wouldn't have been a shepherd mentality. He would have been a rancher mentality. So his role was to have sons. Think about this in a leadership context. His role, if I'm a rancher, is to have sons who are to be able to not only carry the authority of the family, but they're able to shepherd and bring people up in the flock to do the harvest. That's where Jesus is getting the picture of Ephesians 4, 11 and 13 from. It's not from... See, Jesus isn't being bipolar here. He's not being a split personality. He's not trying to be a shepherd and a laborer. He's trying to teach the principles using an agricultural concept. Pray for laborers and the shepherds are the ones that equip the laborers. True? Which is why he uses these contexts all the time. And I think, we, I think we get to this point and we say, well, the shepherds have got to do all the work. But it's not the case. If you look at David, David was the worshipper. David was writing songs. David was spending time not only worshipping God and praying, he was tending the flock and making sure that they were safe, making sure that they were well. All of these concepts come out when you look at King David as the shepherd boy. <clears throat> But when it came time to harvest, I understand everybody's got to be a part of the harvest. I'm not silly, right? Even the rancher in this picture has to be a part of the, the harvest. right? So I'm not abdicating any part of my role in this at all. Harvest time is the busiest period in the agricultural calendar. True? Yeah. So if, if it's the busiest time, it means all hands on deck. Yeah. If you were out in the field and someone was slacking... Do you think the rancher would walk up and kick him up the butt or would the co-laborers go up and kick him up the butt? The co-laborers would, right? That's all about accountability. Is this, is this, is this kind of making sense a little bit? That, that, that there's this responsibility one to another because why? We're all co-laborers. And Jesus said to pray for the God of the harvest to send out laborers. What, what our prayer should shift us to is understanding that we are those laborers. Again, we. We are those laborers. And every one of us have got different roles in that. Okay, And one's not better than the other. One might have more gifting than the other, but we're all called and held responsible for those things. And I think it comes down to the passion. I think it comes down to our prayer life to become overflowing so that we become not only responsible laborers, but productive. So the concept of the rancher is a very different one. The rancher and the pastors or the shepherds are to train and equip the sons and daughters to shepherd smaller flocks, but at the same time to be able to sharpen their knives. Pickle that they're going to put into the harvest. Each of you are unique. You have a difference of gifts and skills and every one of them has a purpose in the kingdom of God. Amen? And it comes down to whether or not we're being trained and equipped and released 
to do the works of ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Here's the passage. Uh, oh. Must have fell asleep. <laughs> All good. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. I'll just read it. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the structure of the fullness of Christ. So the church is not only being trained and equipped and released to fulfill purposes within the church, it's ultimately commissioned to expand the kingdom. And when that means that to build up into the stature and the fullness of Christ means that all that are called under his name will come to know him and call him Lord. Amen? So, so it's just we've got to understand and unpack that they're the things that God's doing and God's calling his church for. So, so leadership looks important in this, but it's no more important than the laborers. They're on the same par. They're on the same field. They're accountable each to one another, but they're accountable into, to God. And uh, so there's a couple of really big leaders within the Old Testament when we look. Just throw a few names out. Moses, Joshua, uh, Nehemiah, David, Jesus, all of the apostles, Barnabas, Saul, who became Paul, all leaders in different ways. Nehemiah is one of my favourite. Uh, Nehemiah's chapter 1 to 16 uh, captures a wonderful story of leadership, doesn't it? The task was to rebuild the walls that protected Jerusalem, and this was a task that was too great for one man. Everyone, let's say that together. Too great for one man. Yeah. So the task and the passion that God gives you is too great for one person. And if it's not too big for one person, then it's not from God. Yeah? <clears throat> Nehemiah successfully rallied the people to build the walls in miraculous timing while under significant persecution and the threats of war. Nehemiah as a leader strategized, encouraged and led the people in the area that meant the greatest to them. Why? Because it's right in front of their home. True? You're going to do your best work when it comes to protecting your family. Amen? Each family became responsible for repairing and defending right out front of their homes. Nehemiah fulfilled the vision through mobilizing others to catch the vision and working to accomplish it. Nehemiah is one of my favorite leadership examples. But another one is really Jesus. Jesus is the focus of all of this. Jesus was a shepherd but functioned like a rancher because he understood the big picture. He had, he had the ability to see beyond. He knew that the cross was the beginning to an end, but his disciples had no idea of that, even though he told them multiple times. Jesus understood that he had to die. 
You can read John chapter 12 and it talks about the seed going into the ground. He understood that if he did not die, then he couldn't reap the harvest which was to come, which was the lives of you and I. So Jesus understood this. He had the ability to oversee and he had the, the, the ability to see beyond and he knew what needed to be done to get that to happen. So he took 12 men, remembering he also was followed by multiple others, but he began with 12. So he had all these multitudes and he pulled them down to 12 because that was who he could invest the greatest portion of his time into. He raised them up. And you see, in this picture, Jesus was the ideal coach. He was able to refer and teach the multitudes. He was able to train and equip the 12. And he had intimate time with the three in the sense that he had more time with them. You can see that on the transfigure of the transfiguration on the mountain, those sorts of things. So there's the three, there's the 12, and he sends the 72. So he's already multiplying in his own three and a half years of ministry, right? He's already multiplying from three to 12 to 72. And then by the time we see the upper room, we're seeing 120 faithfully devoted people in the room praying, waiting for what God had said. All of this, you see, Jesus is the ideal coach. He believed in people, even though those who didn't measure up within society, he believed in them too. True? He trained them and he helped each one grow and develop. He released them to lead his church. The Great Commission is Jesus' words to his disciples that rings across the generations to our time today. We're all disciples of Jesus and we're all called to go and do this. That's another click for us. Thanks, Aaron. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 18. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany them. Everyone say, these signs. Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, these are the signs. In my name, they will cast out demons. Yeah? So I'm not saying that this is the marker of your salvation and your marker as disciples. I'm saying to build up your faith, to lift up your faith, to see that there is more. Amen? In, in Jesus' name, we'll cast out demons. Amen? They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Come on. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they might recover. They will recover. Amen. Right? So These are markers of things in our life that we can pursue. It's like legal terminology. We can actively pursue these things because Jesus paid for them. Be careful with the picking up snakes side of things. Like, don't put the Lord your God to the test, right? You know what I'm saying? There's a whole wacky movement over in the States that tried this, and a number of them died. So you've got to take my disclaimer here. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. That's Jesus telling Satan, right? When Satan tells him to throw himself down off this building, Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Yeah, so understand that. But these are legal things for us as followers of Jesus, as as laborers in the harvest field. Okay? So this is our mandate, to go and make disciples. So what's a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. Um, a disciple refers to a student, a learner, and someone who is dedicated to becoming like Jesus 
in every aspect of their life. Did you hear me say every aspect of our lives? We've been been brought up to conform to Christ. So so Pastor Jamie refers to earlier on when he was when he was reading the scriptures and he, he said the Lord prompted him this morning to repent. Well, that's one of the things that we do as disciples is we find that, that by, the, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, we find that place, if we discover that place where I'm yet aligned to Jesus and we actively repent of that, which means we change our mind, we turn our life around so that we begin to conform to Christ. Amen? Thankfully, Jesus is a good leader And the Holy Spirit is gentle in the way he convicts us up under all righteousness. Amen? Or else I'd be on my knees constantly spending time repenting instead of actively doing what I'm called to do. So this is discipling according to a quote that I found. The intentional training of disciples with accountability on the basis of loving relationships. That was pretty cool. So what kind of disciples do we want? Well, God wants each Christian to be a fervent follower of Jesus. Everyone say fervent. You want to know what fervent means? It means to be, oh, here's this word, passionate. Passionate. We're talking about passionate to start. Here's a good word, zealous. Zealous. Uh, Fervent means to be earnest, enthusiastic, fiery. I like that one. Fiery, ardent, intense. I know some intense Christians in my life. (laughs) Ablaze. I like that one. Ablaze. Burning and hot. So to be fervent for Jesus is to be fervent, to be burning and hot. What are you burning and hot with? Hot chicken wings from down the road? Or are you fervent and hot for the things of God? Are you fervent and hot for his word? Are you fervent and hot? for the things that he's passionate about. It's in stark contrast to this thoughts, lukewarmness. And Jesus says, I'll vomit you out of my mouth when he refers to lukewarmness, right? Complacency. Lethargy. Lethargy and indifference. Don't be indifferent. Here's some scriptures. We'll see if this one works. No. Next one over, thanks. Yes, it did. Um, Matthew 3, 11 to 12. Jesus says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Now, that's John, I think. But he, this is yes, John, he who is coming after me, speaking of Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Listen, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? Fire. So he's saying, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit so you become fervent for the things of God. Another way of saying that. You're going to be passionate for the things of God. You're going to be on fire for me. All right? Uh, John chapter 2, verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. I think we need to stir ourselves up a little bit. Becoming zealous for the things of God. Becoming zealous for the call of the house of God. To get in and make the things work the way that they are. Amen? Because the job's bigger than one person. Is that right? It's much bigger than one person. If one person's trying to do it, they're going to kill themselves. 
when we, when we understand that we're all in this together and that God not only gives us a fire, but he gives us a zeal for his house, all of a sudden, that's grace. I don't have to work that up. That's part of the passion that God puts inside of me. Amen? Romans 12, 9 to 11. Let love be genuine. We read this one last week. What? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Well, there's a big word. Honor. Do not be slothful in what? Zeal. Be what? Fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Big scriptures, aren't they? And the last one there, Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work what? Heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That's not a hearty soup or a stock that you've been working on or it's not a hearty stew. It's working heartily for the Lord with complete fervency. Amen? I want to read you something out of this book just to help us out a little bit. It says, The last church Jesus spoke to through John the Apostle was Laodicea in Revelation 3, 14 to 22. This was a very large, wealthy and powerful church. It was rich, abounding in goods and saw itself as in need of nothing. It was thoroughly satisfied with its own progress and prosperity. But in the eyes of the Lord, it was poor, miserable, blind and naked because it was lukewarm and lacking in spiritual fervor. That's a big test, isn't it? Do we want to be like the Laodicean church? We want to have all of the good things and, and, but yet lacking the form. Do we want to have all of the good things and not have an enthusiasm for God? Do we want to have all the things and, and lack in zeal for the things of the kingdom of God? No way. In contrast, the, the believers at Antioch were so fervent in their zeal for God that they were the first ones to be called Christians. You know, it might have been a bit of a slur word back then, but they were the first ones, those belonging to or like Jesus Christ. This was an indi indication of the quality of their discipleship. They, there was something about the Antioch Christians that revealed Jesus and that other people knew that they were followers of Jesus by their actions, by their fervency, by their enthusiasm. I would say possibly by their joy because they were fixated and focused on things that revolved around the kingdom expansion and not about self-preservation or self-expansion. Amen? We desire to be fervent followers of Jesus Christ, demonstrating our wholehearted devotion by praying, worshipping, loving and serving with a spirit of fervency. These are the kind of disciples God wants us to be and to raise up. Amen? I think we'll go to the next slide quickly. Oh, here we go. This is what discipleship really looks like. Just in a picture, in a simple form. Ultimately, if, if you want to be a good coach, if you want to be a good leader, if you want to be someone, uh, let's just say you're in a grow group, for example, and you're leading that group. This should become something that is second nature to you. Uh, if you're leading a ministry, this should become second nature to you. You should be looking at the people that are there volunteering. You should be looking for those and gathering those with fervent zeal. 
That for me is the marker of what it is first and foremost when I'm looking for someone to start to develop and disciple. Because if I'm going to invest time into someone, I don't want to be about pushing them and helping them and challenging them to be fervent in zeal. They have to already have that as a quality. Amen? So the Spirit of God already has to be doing something in that person. So we're looking to gather them. Every one of you can do this as a good coach, as a good discipler. Looking to gather these people. Okay? Gather them. What does that mean? Find one or two or three people that you can gather in and you can start to coach them. Or even better, better word is to shepherd them. And, and what you're going to do then is you're going to motivate them. You're not going to mo- motivate them in zeal. Your motivation is going to be around helping them discover. I've got two motivatings up there. Apologies. I'm pretty poor, aren't I? What was... Oh, yeah, motivating. The, the, the third one is training. Sorry, that's my bad. I'll try and fix that up. Um, you're going to motivate them, not in zeal. You're going to motivate them that God has more. Right? That we're all called that that Mark 16 passage, that God's empowered us and he's equipped us. Maybe, maybe you're going to help them um, unpack what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe they might need to be baptized or something like that. You're going to encourage them and coach them to this point where you're motivating them and then you're going to train them in the things of God. What does that mean? Well, maybe once a week you're going to contact them by phone call, sit down, have a coffee with them and take them through um, something that you've learnt personally that's helped you in your ministry And then you're going to mobilize them. What does that mean? Well, Jesus not only taught them how to do it by teaching them, speaking to them, he then showed them how to do it. So he went with them and then he released them to do the same thing. Didn't he? So he he gathers them, he teaches them vocally, he then heals the sick and then he says, go and heal the sick. So he demonstrated it, watched over them and then we see the accounts of they come back and they're like, even the demons are subject to us. And what did he say? He used it as a discipleship moment. He kind of said, well, just celebrate that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. <laughs> yeah, don't get overconfident yet. You know, so he's using it. So gathering, motivating, training, that should say training. Everyone can see training up there. And mobilizing. Aaron, do you mind fixing that for me in the next service? Thank you so much. Um, that would be cool. So that's how Jesus did it, and that's how we're called to do it. I'm going to call Dario up. Dario, can you come play the keys for me, mate? All right. We need to finish here. I think I'm about five minutes or so. Every one of us can become an effective mentor or coach. Here's a very simple way, if you're taking notes, to help you. Every person... Um, Mark Connor writes this in his book. Every person needs three kinds of mentoring relationships. Every person. Number one, you all need a Paul in your life. Same with me. We all, we, I'm going to say we, we all need a Paul. Someone who is more mature than me or you, who can help me or you grow and develop further as a Christian. We all need a Paul. That's what Paul was doing as he was travelling around, right? How many times do you read the epistles and see the different names that Paul's using as he's going around? The people he's greeting, the people that are with him, all the different people. The Paul you can see very quickly is developing and discipling very, very well, isn't he? And then he's sending people like Timothy to different places. So we all need someone like Paul 
in our life. Secondly, we all need a Barnabas. True? Someone who is a peer who can also inspire and teach us. Someone who, who, who's, who's at a very similar stage to us, but they've got an encouraging spirit. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the Barnabas in the friendships that you've got in the church and the relationships that you've got. I challenge you to step up and see that you're an encourager like Barnabas because you know things and you've developed things in, in God that he's helped you unpack. And sometimes it's the voice of the encourager that sees other people spark up in their fervent zeal for God. True? So we all need a Barnabas in our life. And the third is we all need a Timothy. So obviously Timothy became a brilliant leader of his own right. But we all need a Timothy. Someone in like the relationship Paul has as like his father and Timothy is like his son, someone that we're able to guide and develop and bring through. So who's your Timothy? Who's the one that the Lord's leading you um, to mentor and be an encouragement to? Like I said, we're all leaders in the church, not because we have a position or a title, but because we're one with Christ. And when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of this comes out. And when you've got a fervent zeal for God, people want to follow that. Amen? Amen? They do. They want to follow that. So it comes down to this point. Lord, we're praying for more harvesters. Amen? Because the harvest is huge. The need is great. And what we need is more willing workers getting involved in the work of ministry. Maybe you've been walking around church circles for your for a long, long time and you're feeling, you know, no one's ever noticed my, my passion or my zeal for God. Maybe you've never shared it. Maybe you've never given a testimony of what God's doing in your life. Maybe you've never, maybe, maybe your passion and your zeal hasn't overflowed to that point where you've just, you're so on fire for God that you just want to tell people what God's doing in your life. I can tell you the moment you activate your voice and you start to share of what God's done in your life, people will see that and they'll become encouraged. See how it always comes back down to the attitude of the heart? It comes down to this place of, I can follow someone who's fervent and full of zeal, but it's more than following, it's actually I can honor that person because they've got something to teach me, which means I'm going to humble myself and make myself teachable in spirit. When we make ourselves teachable, all of a sudden, the Lord is like attracted to that because that's like a figure of faith in my life, you know. You become teachable, hungry, fervent, and the Holy Spirit's gone, what's going on over here? And all of a sudden, you want to start to speak. And I would, I would ask us to use those times. Lord, send harvesters and develop me. Lord, send harvesters and give me a voice to speak. Lord, what's my testimony? Well, you know what? Today I'm going to let the Holy Spirit lead me and I'm just going to see where it's going to go. And you see someone over there who's hurting and you go and you share peace with them and you help them. And you say, the Lord led me today. Now take that story and teach it to someone else. Not because you're being prideful, but because you want to see that multiplied. So that now two people are doing that. And now four people are doing that. You see, you want to change a community, it's got to start from within first. Amen? So we've got to stop looking at the 
shepherd of the flock in that sense of in transition in a leadership sense that we're we're all can only do the things that we're called to do as the leader of the church i have to devote my time as the rancher to make sure that the church expands the way god is calling it to expand that as under shepherds in the church every one of you called to lead called to inspire called to empower when you hear the voice of the lord we should rise to look for those we can encourage keep our focus on him and help others to un- unpack that amen john maxwell wrote this it is better to train 10 people to work than to do all the work of 10 people but it is harder no wonder it takes time right but when you train the 10 people multiplication happens yeah so if we can have a shift in our thinking from this little group of people are doing the work and we're sitting back and applauding them to this point of we're all in this together and God can use me uniquely as a harvester in the field I tell you what, the church transforms. Joy returns. Fervent zeal for the Lord returns. You might not be able to worship God in song at the moment, but I can tell you, you can worship God with the zeal of your heart. True? Like, that's the focus, right? How do we do this? Um, click, click. Is that okay? Personal action plans. I've been doing this to help us out a little bit. Determine to share what God has given you. Amen? This is one thing you can do. Determine to share what God has given you. Number two, if you have children of your own, think about ways that you can train and develop their potential. Maybe you're musical. You can teach your children to play a song and start to worship God in music. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a simple example. Number three, ask a church leader if they can help, if you can help them in a voluntary capacity. Make a commitment to serve them and help release them to do what only they can do. I tell you, that's an attitude of the heart. That's an attitude that says, I'm going to honor you no matter what. And, and I, know, I know people, I did this, I know people who would, who would just turn up to bring someone a coffee. And then I'd say, what can I do for you? And then they would, if, they, if, if you couldn't give them the job, they would just go and back in the floor or something. Because why? They want to honor. They want that time with a leader. And we've got great leaders here, amen? Number four, get involved with helping to establish new Christians in the church. You like that one, Jamie? That's a big one, eh? Just jump on board and say, how can I help? You might have been a Christian for 20 years. You've got something to give. You know? Uh, Number five, make a list of areas you would like to grow in and then find someone who can mentor you in each of those. Right? You might want to know how to play guitar. Find a guitar teacher. That's a mentor, a coach in that area. You might want to know how to worship like some of our worship leaders. You go and talk to Pastor Michael and say, can I speak to someone about how to do this? I tell you, that multiplies in your heart. Um, Number six, interview for a position in kids' church or youth. Learn to teach and train others. Amen? Number seven, eight, and nine, the last three. Sign up to be an assistant coach of a sports team and get some experience bringing out the best in others. It doesn't have to be in the church. Go and sign up and teach little Johnny's soccer team or his cricket team, you know, or go into the community and and be a part of the musical um, orchestras and things that are around in the community, the different groups, like the band stuff. 
and just let your influence rub off on the people around you. Number eight, think about people who have had a positive influence on your life. Analyze how and why they influenced you and determine to do it the same way. Good people in our lives, amen? And the last one is determined to give away everything you can to benefit others. That was the marker of everyone's life in this church. Could you imagine what God would be doing? We're praying for harvesters to go out into the harvest field, absolutely. And the church is meant to be discipling these people, you and I, to rise up, become passionate for the things of God and to reach beyond ourselves. Would you like to stand to your feet for a moment? Passionate for the things of God. A fervent zeal. And sometimes, sometimes God will touch us right where we are. Amen? Sometimes he will touch us right where we are. And he'll just stir us up into a point and we're like, yep, I'm ready. But then there's other times when you've got to make a faith step. I just want to invite those who want to make a faith step this morning to step forward and to come and fill the front up because it's not for me, that's for God. God, I want more fervency in my life. God, I want more passion in my life. I want to be hungry for the things of God and I want to, I want to hunger for your word. So just come forward now. There's a response to saying, I'm a leader and I'm called to more and more and more. I'm called to the development of what God wants to do in my life. And I'm going to commit to it today. Jesus, you've called each of us. Father, I, I ask that you would begin to stir in our hearts a passion and a zeal for your house. Lord, teach us what that is. Help us to commit to honouring and for laying our lives down and for committing ourselves to the things of the kingdom. Lord, as today, as we, we stand in your presence, we stand not, not because we're compelled, we stand because we desire. We desire a deeper, intimacy, intimate walk with you. We desire, Lord, a, a refiring of your Holy Spirit in our life that would give us a zeal for you and your things and purposes. Lord, help us see the kingdom. Help us refocus on the, the very calling that you have for us as part of your body. Lord, I pray today that we would all consider what it is to find a life of giving away, a life of surrender. Because in that place, Lord, we can find our most fulfilling days ahead. Lord, we, we hunger and desire you. We never thirst for your kingdom like never before. Shift us, Lord. 
begin gently. But Lord, for those who can handle it, bring an encourager, a Barnabas around us today. Someone who can inspire. Someone who sees something in us that we can't even see. That we would be released to the mission field. That we would be released to our community. That we would be released to the calling of the church to share the gospel. Lord, use each of us as you've called us to be used. Thank you that this comes first and foremost as being sons and daughters of the Most High. For those in the room who are not yet certain and not yet sure on that foundation, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you seal this into our hearts that we know who we are and we know who we belong to. From that place, Lord, let there be a fervent zeal to rise in pursuit becoming more like Christ. Father, today I pray that you will anoint all of us and do our roles and responsibilities to lead others. Set us free from the things that have held us back and keep our focus on Jesus, who is the Good Shepherd. This we ask in your mighty name. In Jesus' name. God bless you, church. If you want some prayer for anything in particular, we're here and we can pray with you this morning. But that's the conclusion of our 8.30 service. Thanks for joining us online. Thanks for being here. We'll finish the next service with a big song, I reckon. And uh, God bless you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Uh, um, some of our pastors won't be here during the week. We're at conference. Um, <clears throat> but I'm sure there'll be at least one around. So, hey. Okay, cool. But uh, we're all on the phone and you can contact us anyway, so don't worry about that. But we, have, we pray that you have a fantastic week and uh, stick around for a cup of coffee at the back. God bless you all. Amen.